I want to talk about Jägermeister. Dad, what do you know about Jägermeister? I mean, well, really, all I know, it's got a really awesome stag logo. What, what else do I need to know about Jägermeister? Well, uh, you should know that you've been drinking it all wrong this entire time. Damn, that's cold. There's a right and wrong way to drink it? Yes, there is, Dad. You should be drinking it ice cold at zero degrees Fahrenheit, to be exact. Huh? Well, you know what? That explains a lot. I've just been pulling it straight off the shelf. Oh, Dad, I'm so glad I got to you in time. No, that is entirely wrong. The only way to serve Jägermeister is ice cold. So wherever you're at, if you're hanging out with friends or you're at the bar or you're helping your dear sweet father try and get right, call the shots. Cheers with ice cold shots of Jägermeister. Damn, that's cold. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume. Imported by Mast Jägermeister US, White Plains, New York. Lots of things go better together. Hockey, food, golf, peanut butter and jelly, Gojo and Golik, Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. What? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You're listening to DraftKings Network. Welcome to Gojo and Golik, Mike Golik Jr., no Mike Golik Sr., Jesse Cofield holding it down for us in the DraftKings studio in Boston. We got a great show for you guys, as always. Download, subscribe, rate, review, leave us a five-star rating, and check us out live here Monday through Friday, 8 to 10 a.m. Eastern on DraftKingsNetwork.com, the YouTube channel, Samsung TV+, Roku, all those great places here. Plenty to get to as we are coming off Super Wild Card Weekend because of some of the weather on Super Wild Card Weekend. We now have not one but two football games. Game still coming up today, which rocks. I understand that there were a lot of people that wanted to disparage the folks in Buffalo and the NFL for moving a football game because of the insane weather there, who promptly got sent back to the student section by everyone with a working brain. But now it gets us two football games on Monday, which once again, I'd imagine has to piss off the NBA. But uh, Jesse, speaking of weather, that is also why my father's not here. Dad was calling the Cowboys and Packers game. And decided to let me know via text message that I found this morning. So dad is somewhere right now in transit, I think going towards Salt Lake City. We have a shot of his very empty sad room. I forgot we could just power up his camera remote and he has no control. So there is a very sad, dark Arizona casita without my dad. So it's me and you, Jesse, today against the world. But uh, hold on. We need to really, we need to get into this really quick. So he texted you late last night is what I'm understanding. Like, we hours of the morning and he texted me at 11 22 pacific okay. which when or no 11 11 make a wish 11 11 pacific so i had been pretty dead asleep for about an hour at that point and nobody else he just no, texted yeah, was, you he didn't text a producer he didn't email anyone he was just like hey man i'm not gonna be there in the morning see ya 
more, more or less. And you know what? This is one of those spots where I want to make fun of him ruthlessly, but I also understand the moment he was at because part of the appeal of him calling the early game was he can get a flight out of there. Normally, Dad calls the Sunday night games for Westwood One on radio, so he's there the next morning. He's doing the show from some hotel with us, and instead, this time, he had spent all day in travel hell. And Jesse, you and I both know what happens to your brain during a travel day. Short when the delays start to mount up, you're waiting there once de-icing becomes involved in the equation. Everything goes to hell, so I am going to try and extend a little empathy to the uh, old man right Right now. Okay, okay, we're cutting him some slack. We're not going to make fun of a him. A little bit. We'll okay. s- we'll see how I feel on hour number two once we've been gas bagging. This here could be a one hour special. Okay, let's just relax. Let's wait and see how Holiday it goes. show. One hour special in it. Uh, thank God, though, uh, we at least have a bunch of good stuff to talk about because um, the entire weekend was giving. Like the Cowboys. <laughs> America's team is at the very least America's content team because they are never not doing the most sports talk radio friendly thing humanly possible. Like when the Dallas Cowboys are presented with an opportunity to give call-in based radio the easiest day of work known to man. You want to talk about working on a holiday. If you were a Dallas radio station, sweet Jesus, pop open the phone lines and let all hell break loose. Because I'd imagine... Much like Jerry Jones, most Cowboys fans probably fired that entire staff somewhere in the middle of that game last night. Um, absolute nightmare stuff there. So we will get to plenty on that as the Packers sent the Cowboys completely packing. We also had a Miami Dolphins meltdown that's going to have people asking existential questions about Tua Tungavailoa and his future. But we got to get to what might actually be America's team after last night. The Detroit Lions are a movie football team. I think that's what we've all settled on, right? Because none of this feels real. Every bit of this, from the Eminem-laden open to Sunday night football with Mike Tirico and company, which, by the way, Mom's Spaghetti looks delicious, the restaurant themed after the famed Eminem line that they showed during the broadcast. Isn't that his Big restaurant? Fan. It's Eminem's restaurant. That's the thing I didn't really get out of that. Was it his? It's yeah. It's Eminem's restaurant. He owns it. Oh man! Well, it looks wonderful. Never took Eminem for a Texas toast guy, but here we are. Twenty twenty three has a lot of surprises, including this year's Lions team. The Lions get the win against the Rams on Sunday Night Football. It is their first playoff win in 32 years, as our producer Tom Glenn had pointed out before the show, and as I believe I heard Mike Tirico say on the broadcast last night, if you sent a text message to any of your friends about the Detroit Lions and congratulated them on the playoff win, it is the first text message that will ever read a Detroit Lions playoff win, because the last time they managed to do this, text messaging was not a real thing. They also end an NFL-long nine-game postseason losing streak. And because they will now host whoever wins between Tampa Bay and Philadelphia tonight, this will be the first time in Lions franchise history that they host two playoff games in the same postseason. And I say they're a movie team because everything that's happened with Dan Campbell and everything about his approach to the game is how you would script a movie head coach should be, right? Big, burly, former player. I'm sure at this juncture, my dad would make some sort of comparison to The Rock and in Walking Tall or whatever that movie was with him there, but my dad's, again, nowhere to be found in there, so I can't make the appropriate Rock uh, movie reference. 
<laughs> Thanks, Dad. <laughs> but um, between Dan Campbell, who has approached it like that, who was the former player who walked in, who everybody sort of laughed at and snickered at after the opening press conference, and we saw it rehashed yesterday. I saw it all over the timeline. Dan Campbell, three-minute three diatribe about biting kneecaps and what kind of football team they're going to be, to the Lions on hard knocks that I think was really the moment where everyone started to look and go, all right, I, I don't know if it's going to work, but it's hard not to like these guys when you see the approach. Because the one thing that's pretty apparent about coaches, and I think this is true whether you've been inside of locker rooms or outside, is you can kind of tell when someone's full of it. You can kind of tell when someone's saying something because they believe it's the right button to push, and you can tell when they mean it. And Dan Campbell, when it's... Him talking about taking care of his guy's legs, but we got to learn how to tackle. Another clip I saw going around from Hard Knocks last night. Drawing on the personal experience he has as a player, but reminding them that there's a plan. There's a reason we're all doing this stuff. And really imploring his guys for the belief and giving it back to them in the ways that he has to now getting the moments where you see these shots in the stands of fans crying during the course of the game last night. Dan Campbell at the end of the game, in the moments that I thought, if you're looking for the symbolic difference of why they won this game, if you really want to try and mirror it in a way that seems poetic, look at the very end of the game last night and the decisions made by both head coaches as to why this game went the way it did and sort of what's emblematic of the difference in the Lions culture inside this building is at the end of the game, we had had a hard-fought back-and-forth game here. The Lions end up winning this game by one point. Like, it was by no means a blowout. It's 24-23. But the Rams had the ball with about four minutes left in the game. They end up backed up on third and 14. It's an incomplete pass that looks like it's got a bunch of holding on it. Puka Nakua is getting grabbed and tugged on, but it had been a physical game all night, so the refs let it go. And it's fourth and 14 in plus territory, and the Rams only have one timeout left. And Sean McVay opts to punt. You can say it's faith in his defense, whatever, what have you, but with one timeout left, there's a very real chance you're punting that ball away and might never get it back, but it's what he feels like he has to do in that moment. That's the decision that gets made on one side. On the other side with Dan Campbell, they get the ball back, they're driving, and it gets down to the two-minute warning. Two-minute warning, the, Lions, the Rams have one timeout left on the other side of that to try and call and slow down this game. So really, the Lions are one first down from making it happen. And they've been running in the lead-up to the two-minute warning because that's what you do at that point in the game. Dan Campbell comes out of the two-minute warning and has Jared Goff drop back and throw a pass for the first down that ultimately ices the game. Puts it on the line, you know, puts everything on the table and makes it happen in that spot. The belief in his quarterback to get that done, his quarterback in Jared Goff, who had obviously been much maligned, who talked about this week how much the end of his time in Los Angeles affected him mentally, shook his confidence, all the things that happen when a team tells you you're not good enough and we want to go get someone better. And in this case, it just happened to be a wife swap of quarterbacks with Matthew Stafford and Jared Goff and Matthew Stafford, who played great in this game who was an absolute warrior. We will talk about the, you know, ugly shot in the game, him going back in in a way that I'd imagine is going to be interesting for the NFL to try and answer for today and the independent neurological consultant and that process that's still supposed to go on. But Matthew Stafford, in his first return trip to Detroit, now as a former member of the Lions, a guy who went through all of the pain and a lot of the pain, 
some of the worst years of the Lions franchise that are now the source of the catharsis for all these fans. He had to watch as Jared Goff, his counterpart, got the chance that his coach gave him on the other side to go out and win that game. Like the analytics movement needs to invite Dan Campbell to the Sloan Conference in Boston at MIT next year. They need to make him the poster child because analytically inclined decisions, that level of aggressiveness has so often been attributed to the nerds. Dan Campbell's made it manalytics, Danalytics, whatever you want to call it. He's made being aggressive and pivotal moments seem like it's just a football guy thing again and not a numbers thing again because that's what that was and that's what we always talk about dad and I on this show of a coach having confidence and giving it to his players saying I believe in you to go win it so much of old school football the conservative minded football is we're going to play not to lose we're going to punt on fourth and 14 instead of maybe gunning it saying hey we're going to see if we can let Matthew Stafford win the ball win the game for us on fourth down here instead of hoping that a bunch of other things will happen we'll take the most direct path to victory and that's what Dan Campbell did and you could see it how much it meant to him how much it meant to this locker room and how much it meant to Jared Goff this was Dan Campbell after the game handing out the game balls to not only their GM Brad Holmes but to their star quarterback and make no mistake they think he's a star in Jared Goff dude how electric was it out there I'm telling you what it doesn't get any better it's everything you dream of and then more all right that's outstanding work I got two game balls all right, number one, listen, when you, when you come in three years ago, like me and this guy did, and you had a vision, and you start working together, and you've got an idea how you want to build it, and the type of players you're looking for, and how you want to go top to bottom, offense, defense, special teams, and you're in f***ing lockstep. You're in f***ing lockstep. I'm telling you guys, it's a shitty business. It ain't always perfect, but we, but we do a pretty good job, dude. <laughs> But without this f***ing guy right here, man, Brad Holmes. Okay, I'll, I'll just say it like this. Right? Hey, you're good enough for f***ing Detroit, Jerry. You're good enough for Detroit. Come on. Oh, the pride. That's what I mean. Like. It's, it's the line at the end of a movie and it all feels like it's so caked in cheese, but at the same time, you believe it because we've seen it. Like it, it's This has been consistently Dan Campbell. I go back to the point of you can tell when a coach is full of it. This has been who Dan has been every step of the way as a head coach. The guy who is overwhelmingly invested in his staff that's full of former players and in his locker room full of guys that in some ways, like Jared Goff, were cast off from another place. And I, I saw Kevin Clark did a great piece Uh, about Dan Campbell when he first took the job and Dan talked about all the things about Detroit as a city that really rang true to him about a city that was hit so hard by the financial crisis and the housing collapse in 2008 and about how the auto market went to hell and all this stuff about how it was a city that had been constantly the butt of jokes that he thought man if I could come and help resurrect this and now he has and that moment there with Jared Goff like He's a guy I don't think will ever be a quarterback that's going to be like the MVP of a Super Bowl team. I still don't know that with Jared Goff. He thrives in the way that they have allowed him to play quarterback in that offense. We've seen him take the Rams to a Super Bowl before, but there's always been questions about how much of that is his versus the coordinator versus the coach. But this is a different Jared Goff that they've gotten there because there is nothing more powerful than a coach that actually believes in you and reinforces it. We've talked about it till we're blue in the face with Jared with uh, Tua Tunga 
Tagovailoa and Mike McDaniel in Miami and how he went through in the 700 clip play thing, all culminating in a quarterback that now has gotten the best out of him there. We'll see how far that can go. But I think the same is true of Dan Campbell and then some with Jared Goff in Detroit. So it's been cool watching all the emotive parts of what went on there from a football standpoint it was also a really it was every bit of the game we expected it was by far the best game of wild card weekend in terms of what we got play wise on the field from all these guys I think for Detroit you know my dad's always partial he loves you know the other guys that show up not the star players and the stat sheet the guys uh, that are the role players that make winning happen and I think for Detroit you've seen a guy like Aleem McNeil, their defensive tackle who was on IR for a portion of the end of the season, come in there. He was a part of that big hit on Matthew Stafford that ultimately almost knocked him out of the game. Aiden Hutchinson obviously was a monster last night, had some big pressures and hits late in that game on Matthew Stafford to try and force them into that punting situation. Frank Ragnow and what he's meant to this offensive line when he's been healthy as the center in the middle of that group, that group was shuffled around and beat up with injury for a lot of the year. Frank's on the injury report every week with like a toe and a back and a knee. He's got everything there. And when he's out there, steadies the ship in such a way that allows them to go do it. I thought they set the tone physically on both lines of scrimmage. We talked about last week how their run defense towards the back half of the season has actually been one of the best in football. Even though for stretches it looked like, oh, it was going to be the same old Lions defense in that regard. Going up against a Rams team on the other side that had been resurgent in that area. We talked to, you know, um, we talked to our guy Steve Avila last week about the Rams reapproach to the ground game downhill Kyron Williams and you saw physical ass football game where a lot of that Rams core of skill players got the hell beat out of them Kyron Williams left that game in the fourth quarter with a hand injury that he was dealing with Puka Nakua got checked out by the independent neurological consultant on the sideline during that game it was getting ragdolled in the secondary despite a rookie another rookie record-setting performance 181 receiving yards in this game he was sensational but the hit on Matthew Stafford I think is going to be the real interesting one to hear the response from everyone today Uh, in the second half of this game Matthew Stafford takes a shot in the pocket where he is dragged down he gets hit on one side and then Aline McNeil was coming from the middle and as Stafford's kind of getting pulled away hits him and you see Stafford's head we all see the shot of Stafford's head hit off the turf and it looks like his eyes rolled back and it looks like the lights went off there for a second we all thought he got knocked out he goes over on the sideline to get checked and I think there was a commercial break or a tv timeout and then all of a sudden on the other side of that in the next series he's back and ready to go and uh, listen I I the NFL has earned our skepticism when it comes to this process. It's a big-time game. None of us were looking forward to the prospect of Carson Wentz, the backup for the Rams, potentially having to come in and finish out that game because it had been electric. And the storyline of Matthew Stafford being back there was such a huge part of it. God, the job Tarico and Collinsworth did during that first drive for the Rams when Stafford took the field and the Boo Birds rained down and it gave way to the overwhelming noise of that first series and they just laid out and let it all happened it was elite scene setting it was incredible and it gave way to a game where Matthew Stafford looked every bit like the guy you'd want to replace Jared Goff like he was the better quarterback in that game the what he did what he does and Jared Goff played a great game like I'm not disputing that but Matthew Stafford we can all see clearly the better quarterback of the two what he did under pressure some of those throws just freakish from a guy who's what 35 years old now in that range Matthew Stafford found the fountain of youth this year 
Like Matthew Stafford was a, you know, top 10 borderline top five quarterback for the majority of this season when he was healthy. It was sensational. And so we all understood. We all wanted him out on the field. But at the same time, we also all saw that and we're like, all right, what version of a concussion test did he pass to get back out there? And it's possible he did. Like, I, I don't want to begrudge that. I, I want to wait to hear from, you know, people like Stefania Bell over at ESPN, the people who I trust around this process, because uh, remember, it's the independent neurological consultant. It's not the team clearing him back out there. It's, it's those guys that are in charge of this that are supposed to be the third party arm for the NFL out there. You even heard them buzz in just to make sure they had checked on Puka Nakua after one of those plays. And so I will wait to see what the answer looks like from them because that was definitely a moment that looked like it could be the eyesore on what was otherwise a sensational game. The Rams are going to have a ton to be excited about next year. We saw a team reset with one of the best rookie classes in a while, even full of guys outside of the first round that completely changed the outlook of this team. But congratulations to Dan Campbell and these Detroit Lions, who now, I I mean, again, they're going to get the winner of the Eagles-Tampa Bay Buccaneers game that doesn't look like it's going to be a real murderer's row on either side, as we'll talk about. And so they are primed to potentially go from not having played or not having won a playoff game in 30 32 years to potentially winning multiple and punching their ticket to the NFC championship based on how they looked and based how how solid the foundation looks for that team right now but coming up next let's take a trip down to Cowboys country and figure out if Jerry is ready to hit the panic switch yet after yet another and maybe the most infamous now Cowboys postseason collapse of my lifetime I want to talk about Jägermeister. Dad, what do you know about Jägermeister? I mean, well, really, all I know is it's got a really awesome stag logo. What, what else do I need to know about Jägermeister? Well, uh, you should know that you've been drinking it all wrong this entire time. Damn, that's cold. There's a right and wrong way to drink it? Yes, there is, Dad. You should be drinking it ice cold at zero degrees Fahrenheit, to be exact. Huh? Well, you know what? That explains a lot. I've just been pulling it straight off the shelf. Oh, Dad, I'm so glad I got to you in time. No, that is entirely wrong. The only way to serve Jägermeister is ice cold. So wherever you're at, if you're hanging out with friends or you're at the bar or you're helping your dear sweet father try and get right, call the shots. Cheers with ice cold shots of Jägermeister. Damn, that's cold. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume. Imported by Mast Jägermeister US, White Plains, New York. Welcome back to Gojo and Golik. This one really put the wild in wild card weekend. Did anybody... Have the Cowboys getting blown out by the Packers at home on their bingo cards? Certainly not me. Now, after the game, Dallas owner Jerry Jones, very reluctant um, to speak about the future of Mike McCarthy here. I won't get into uh, any uh, of the uh, addressing of any aspects of it, any part of it, uh, from uh, the coaching to the players to what's around the corner. Uh, uh, on a personal basis, I'm, I'm floored, and so uh, uh, not that there's any world's smallest violin for me being floored. I get that. I understand that, and uh, I know where the responsibility starts and ends, and I've got that real clear, and I know that, but that's not the point. The point is that uh, 
uh, I'm uh, uh, disappointed for everybody. All right. I mean, Gojo, just talk to me about this game, this blowout that happened. And then, I mean, three straight 12-win seasons, it's still just not good enough for the Cowboys here. Yeah, the Cowboys are in a, a fascinating conundrum right now because – Last night was deeply embarrassing for that team. There's no two ways to slice it. The final score is a complete misnomer. Like, it's 48-32 to 32 because of a bunch of late-game garbage time work by the Cowboys that could have, in theory, made it interesting with the final onside kick still up in the balance, but... You look, all of their box score numbers are inflated. You know, Dak Prescott, I think, set a Cowboys franchise record with 60 passing attempts in this game. Ends up with over 400 yards, three touchdowns to two interceptions. But that was hardly the story of the game. The two interceptions and what the Green Bay Packers defense did to them in the body of this game was the story of the game. This was as lopsided as they come when the game was actually in balance. Jordan Love played a masterful game, like a cherry on top of a season that's been the culmination of this guy taking over the starting role there and Jesse you're right is that what's hard to figure out with Dallas is what you can do for a team that has been undoubtedly good but not good enough in big moments and God is a Notre Dame fan I unfortunately empathize <laughs> with this situation way too much but this stat to me there's two things that jumped out here ESPN stats and info the Cowboys are the first team to win 12 games in three straight seasons and fail to make a conference championship in any of them that is since the AFC NFC created the uh, NFL merger in 1970 looking at the way this played out the Cowboys have been really good during the regular season they've had a roster that has been building towards this moment going into this season this was supposed to be the year where whether it was our folks over at FTN and Aaron Schatz who came on the show or pundits who looked at this roster. This was supposed to be the year that they were able to get over the hump if they were going to do it. And now, just to your point about what we heard from Jerry Jones, it was instability right now. And it's the same instability that's hung over their head this entire season because Dak Prescott is going to count $59.9 million against the cap next year, and they've done nothing about smoothing that over in a way that makes you wonder what their plan is with him at this point. Because everyone thought, oh, you like Dak Prescott. He's coming off undeniably the best season of his career. If Lamar Jackson wasn't real, Dak Prescott would probably be your MVP or at the very least very close between him, Brock Purdy, some of the other names, Tyree kill that we've talked about Dak Prescott cut down on the interceptions like they wanted to after throwing 15 last year he was incredibly productive in the relationship with CeeDee Lamb and all of that stuff went freaky Friday we saw the shots of him and CeeDee Lamb on the sideline not looking like they were on the same page and again Lamb ended up with nine catches for 110 yards but it hardly felt like that in the moments of the game where they had a chance to influence the outcome. And still, on the other side, you look at the Cowboys' defense that gave up 143 yards rushing and say that's been the common problem for all the head coaching interviews that we think Dan Quinn is going to get since he's come over here in Dallas. And they tried to address it in the draft this year, drafting Mozzie Smith out of uh, Michigan, and that didn't pan out the way they wanted to. The Cowboys' inability to stop the run has ultimately been, I think, at the source and at the core of their demise as a football team when it's come to these pivotal moments in the postseason and so now because like Jesse if this was a, a normal instance with a normal football team I, I would usually advocate for some measure of 
patience. Like, hey, it's worked. Like, process-wise, it's gotten you to this point in the last three years. You've won the division two out of the last three years. You're getting to the dance, and if you just get enough tickets to the dance, eventually you might actually get to where you want to go. But with the Cowboys, we know that's not how it works because Jerry Jones is old and only getting older and he's a man who thirsts after one thing and who's now been embarrassed publicly so many times, even recently, let alone since the triplets era. Like this man just finally swallowed his pride enough to let Jimmy Johnson, Jimmy Johnson into the Cowboys ring of honor. I can't expect him to act rationally or reasonably. And there's part of me that doesn't think it's irrational or irrational or unreasonable because this feels like the definition of insanity type thing where, all right, at some point, this current Cowboys core, Jesse, when they get to big moments has just not had the stuff that they have needed to get over the hump here. And so because of that, and you've got a bunch of aging veterans on this team, like I, I think a lot like we thought for the Buffalo Bills going into this season, this feels like the last best shot for this current iteration of the Cowboys roster because you're probably going to lose Dan Quinn this offseason and because there's some older free agents that you might struggle to pay coming into next year. And so you're going to have to, I think, start to make that pivot that we've seen Kansas City and Cincinnati and some of these other teams with expensive quarterbacks make. Yeah, I also just think when I'm thinking, you know, you're talking about personnel on the team, but I just keep I can't stop thinking about Mike McCarthy getting fired, which seems like it's inevitable, and the absolute feeding frenzy that's going to happen for teams. Because think about him as a coach. Don't you think teams are going to be falling over themselves to hire this guy? So Greg Olson said that in the broadcast yesterday, and I don't think so. Really? Like just, I think just because look at all who look at who else is available this hiring cycle for coaches. Like Mike McCarthy amongst the name of veteran head coaches on the market would certainly be valuable, but would he be more valuable than Bill Belichick? Would he be more valuable than Jim Harbaugh getting back into things? Like, I I don't know the answer to that. And Mike McCarthy has done a masterful job. He took back over as the offensive play caller this year. Almost all their offensive numbers seem to jump through the roof. We said he got the best out of Dak Prescott, but between the amount of veteran head coaches on the market and the amount of young, hot coordinator names that you could go after, I I don't know if, like, he would definitely have a job, but falling all over, I I don't know if I would go that far. Wow. I think that would be my issue. Okay. Well, I just keep reading these quotes from Jerry Jones about, like, he's just he said this seems like the most painful playoff loss because we all had such great expectations and hope for this team I'm floored this is beyond my comprehension like he's talking about this in life or death terms because for him it is like for him this this is that team And, and like make no mistake I I don't ever advocate for people to get fired. I'm just not comfortable with that. Jerry Jones is going to fire everybody. Yes. Like, there's no way this guy is going to calm down. He is going to fire everybody that's associated with this. I wouldn't be surprised if he tries to do something and flip Dak Prescott. Like, this is going to be a man that we're seeing driven to levels of desperation. Like, the Cowboys, this is the most amount of points. The Cowboys had never given up more than 40 points in the history of their franchise until this weekend. In a game against a Packers team that had Jordan Love in his first year as a starter that is now moving on to the next round. That is something that Jerry Jones, I just don't think, is going to be able to stomach. And from a football standpoint now, there have been so many things to like about this team. But again, the obvious flaw of, 
All right, at the very core of it, you can't stop the run at all. And on the other side, you couldn't run the football like this base-level cliche football stuff that we all talk about to we're blue in the face and feels less relevant than ever because of the way that football's moved on. Now all of a sudden shows up in the biggest moments. Once we get to you know January and February football, run and stop the run. If you can't do it, you don't have to be able to do it great, but if you can't really do it at all, man, oh man, the problems start to look like the ones Jerry Jones and his friends are going to have here in Dallas. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. And now that the Boston Celtics have slayed the boogeyman in the Miami Heat, Boston fans, we feel a little bit more confident about the situation. You can decide right now, and if you're new to DraftKings, you can also check this out. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code GOJO. That's code GOJO for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Welcome back to Gojo and Golik. It is time for Miked Up Monday. Hell of a weekend for the Texans. Okay, kicking off the NFL playoffs by handing Cleveland their worst playoff loss since 1968 in a 45-14 win on Saturday. Now, after the game, rookie coach Jamika Ryans was obviously pretty hyped. Man, hey, unbelievable, right? Unbelievable, guys. We talk about all right, making that one, that one person proud. A lot of people are proud of you guys, man. You guys went out, you put on, you dominated. You dominated a really good football team, and we earned it. We talk about an opportunity, you guys earned up, and then you came and showed what Texan style football looked like. Mm-hmm. Right? Everybody put on offense, awesome job, defense, score. How many? Hey, you talk about a complete game all the way around, man. Complete game, complete domination. We talk about the focus. We talk about execution. That's what it looks like. Uh Here you go, baby. Here we go. Y'all know what time it is. Texas! Okay, so one thing that I do just have to point out about that speech that made me giggle a little bit was D'Amico Ryan's being like, you went out there and beat a really good football team, and then I'm just thinking of Joe Flacco throwing back-to-back pick sixes. But, yeah, yeah. but, yeah, very cool, very cool, regardless. Very cool, regardless, indeed. Yeah, they, the Texans, uh, you know what? That's absolutely the way I'd frame it, and I do think the Browns are very good, and the Texans, you can say you forced them into being that bad, and Joe Flacco had been on a tear, ended up running into the nightmare that is the Houston Texans, and to help us out with that and the rest of the show here, uh, 
our knight in shining armor, the one and only Jason Fitz. You guys know him. Host over at Yahoo Sports covering college football, the NFL, and all variety of sports. You can hear him on Fox Sports Radio as well on the weekend. Fresh off the treadmill at Orange Theory Fitness, Jason heard our cries that our father, my father, our father. Our father. I'm sorry, Jason. Yeah, who art in heaven. No, no, my dad, who is just art on a plane uh, and came to help us out here. So, Jason, we appreciate you, buddy. I'm basically the Joe Flacco of the show, right? I came off the couch. I'm an old guy. Nobody can figure out if I'm actually good at what I do. Like, sometimes it seems like it's really good. Sometimes I'm like, what the hell? How does he have a job? How is he still in the league? Like, I am the Joe Flacco of sports talk media. You know, I just... I feel like they're going to debate whether or not I'm elite day in and day out for the rest of the year. I No, they're not. Nobody cares. Oh, I could, I could see that. The only difference between you guys, Jason, is we had that shot of Joe Flacco. I think it was on the Thanksgiving game when they had to play at night falling asleep on the sideline. And you would never have any issues staying awake because you're more caffeinated than any person I've ever met. Yeah, that's probably. And by the way, even though I'm older than Joe, no salt and pepper happening here. Like, I'm, you know, I'm holding the salt and pepper off. So I feel like a little bit, you know, just just pointing out it might be the old man on the block, but Sneaky vampire still. How well caffeinated, though? Because I was thinking we were talking about Dan Campbell's 1100 milligrams of caffeine a day. Are you Dan Campbell status? So this is a very true story. When I was one of the tours, I was out on the road. Um, I, you know, I was I was out and I was working and we'd been gone for a while. And I said to one of my buddies, I was like, man, my stomach doesn't feel the best. And he's like, well, what's like, what are you eating? And I'm like, no, like I eat pretty clean. And he's like, what are you drinking? And I was like, well, just the usual. He's like. Well, how many how many sugar-free Red Bulls did you have yesterday? And I was like, the case. Like, that's not a big deal for me to drink a case of sugar-free Red Bull. Like, I was drinking our rider every day. Like, I got rid of my coffee pot at the house because I would drink four or five pots of iced coffee a day on top of four or five energy drinks. On the, like, like, those pre-workouts, I took the pre-workout before I go, and everybody's like, oh, it gets me jittery. No, but here's the craziest part about it. Then, after all that Red Bull, everybody was like, hey, you should really give up caffeine. So cold turkey, I just gave up all caffeine and went to only water. Never had a headache, never had, didn't feel any different. Like, I just like the taste of caffeinated drinks, but caffeine itself doesn't really... It doesn't choose me one way or the other. I got a C4 happening with me now after my pre-workout and my mid-workout. And like, I just, I like the taste of that stuff. Man, Bro, I, you should you donate are your body Campbell. to science for sure. It, Jesse, he really is Dan Campbell. The first show Jason and I ever worked on together, he walked out. When I walked out onto the set, Jason was sitting there and he had two of the Monster Energy drink cans and then on top of that, he had two five-hour energies, and he drank them all in, like, the 15 minutes before we went on air. I was like, dude, just do cocaine. Yeah, I mean... Like, it'd be so much more efficient if you up. just did drugs, but... Just grow up and I mean, do drugs. Yeah, I mean, my <laughs> heart would explode out of my body if I did that. We don't have to it, live it in was... an either-or world. Okay, 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 okay. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. You I'm kidding. both, all right? Come on. I'm kidding. a team yeah. that looked like they were shot out of a cannon by a combination of caffeine and drugs. This Houston, Texas team fits. They did. How did you see this game going at the start, and how surprised were you by the result, Fitz? So I think, look, uh, realistically, I didn't put money on this game as somebody that likes to dabble because I was uncomfortable trying to figure out who's going to win it. I thought it was going to come down to the wire. We all knew Flacco made mistakes. We knew that he'd thrown a lot of picks. It just hadn't bitten him in the butt yet. So I thought that might be a factor in this game. I never expected C.J. Stroud to do what C.J. Stroud did. And and I'll never forget last year sitting there with Harry Douglas at the time. We were at the game against Georgia, and you saw sort of the awakening of everybody and the consciousness of C.J. Stroud because he showed more of the athleticism, blah, 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 all these things. 
I, I think most of us that cover college football understood that C.J. Stroud was going to be very good. I don't think anybody understood that C.J. Stroud was going to be historic because that's like the only way to say what we've seen this year is this is a historic rookie year for a quarterback that has come in and never looks overwhelmed. That was a great, great defense that he took on and he just sliced and diced them. So to me, this was all about the fact and, and, and I would argue that every single fan of a team that sucks can look right now at the lions and the Texans and say, you know what? We have hope because you can do, you get the right guy on the sideline and everything else can start to make sense. The Texans are living, breathing. Like a year ago right now, it was supposed to be a job nobody wanted and a franchise that was going to be picking at the top of the draft forever. And instead, now they look like they, they I mean, C.J. Stroud, how many, how many quarterbacks in the AFC right now today are better than C.J. Stroud? The number is alarmingly small. It is. And to your point about those two teams, I think it's worth noting very different ways they came to this, right? The Lions were a lot slower. They went through for the years, the beginning of Dan Campbell's tenure where they were still losing those close games and had to learn how to do that. Didn't do it with a quarterback that was their top overall pick. He was a cast off from another team and still found their way back to the dance are having this success now and the Texans yeah they were able to microwave this overnight complete vibe change in the organization between the front office and Nick Casario and what he's done the head coach and D'Amico Ryans and certainly nailing your quarterback the way they seem to with CJ Stroud I will give Fitz though their trenches a lot of credit and I think that's gone a long way in how this team has operated this year around CJ Stroud big number for me zero no sacks allowed against that Browns defense and I get Miles Garrett's been banged up down the stretch of the season that probably goes a long way in it but Laramie Tunsil and that group up front have done a job when they've been healthy protecting CJ Stroud this year and the other side how about their other top pick Will Anderson Jr. in this Texans D-line, they were third this season in ESPN's pass rush win rate metric. They were getting to the quarterback, even if it wasn't always sacks. Derek Barnett, who they picked up for the last six games of the year, went off in this game and was pressuring the quarterback. To me, that was the difference. Their edge guys against the backup, backup tackles for the Cleveland Browns completely, completely flushed the pipes and showed where all the cracks were in this game. You mentioned zero is the number you loved, in, as in zero sacks allowed. I'll give you the number one. There was only one quarterback hit by the Browns in this entire game. They only touched C.J. Stroud once. Like, you think about what that says to how strong that line is. That says everything, right? So when you've got a combination of the fat guys up front playing really well and a quarterback that can climb the pocket and a couple of wide receivers that can get open against basically anybody at this point, you have the method on one side of the ball. And the Will Anderson Jr. part of it, I think we've really slept on because of how good C.J. Stroud has been. Will Anderson Jr. has been every bit the discovery people thought he would be. And I was covering the draft. There were people when the draft happened that said, I don't know. I mean, it seems like that's a big they've, – they've rolled a lot on those two players, and they rolled the dice and they won, dude. They, they did. They People looked at the draft capital it took to trade back up to get Will at the spot that they did and said, this is too much for a rusher unless he goes out there and is basically the second coming. And while maybe the sack production didn't get there until later in the year, the guy's a captain on your team as a rookie and has undoubtedly been a force of nature on that defense. So they get high marks all around and they continue to move on and keep the story going. Welcome back to 
Gojo and Golak. I don't know if you guys heard, but it was pretty cold in Kansas City on Saturday. Uh, there was a very memorable image from the Chiefs wildcard win over the Dolphins where Patrick Mahomes' helmet cracked, literally physically cracked after taking a hit as he tried to work his way to the end zone on a scramble. After the game, Mahomes discussed what he was thinking on the play here. Yeah, I was, trying to, I was trying to get in there. Uh, I was trying to get in that end zone. A young Pat would have got in. I'm getting a little old. If, like Tennessee, I would have spun, you know, got up in there. But I, I got squared up. I got my helmet cracked. But uh, I try not to do it too much, but it's playoff time. You gotta, sometimes you got to put it on the line and try to get in the end zone to win football games. 28-year-old Patrick Mahomes talking about when he was young makes me feel ancient. Yes. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't need that to start my day at no. all. But... You know, football does age you differently, so I won't begrudge him that. But Jesus Christ, Pat, leave us alone. I didn't come here to be attacked on a holiday Monday. But uh, uh, Jason, no, you I've guys also are both. Wait, wait, wait! That. You guys are both wrong. You're both wrong about this. Yeah. It gives me hope. I need Mahomes to start feeling old and rich. The sooner he decides oh, yeah. he's old and rich, the sooner he decides maybe football's not for him anymore. And then you know he just rides off into the sun. Like, hey, Pat, if you've made all your money and had all your success and want to just go ahead and retire, like. I respect that decision immensely, and it has nothing to do with the Raiders hoodie I'm wearing or the Raiders jersey that's behind me, of course. It's just respect to the man. I mean, if he just wants to – if he wants to decide that, like, hey, I could go go invest in some businesses and maybe hang it up, that I was going to say, if you are not watching on the DraftKingsNetwork.com or YouTube channel, you can't see Jaden. Jason is cloaked in Raiders black, as he almost always is. So, yeah, yeah uh, you know, Patrick, if you want to do the rest of the division a favor, certainly do that. The rest of general football fans, although I'd have a feeling, Jason, there are more and more people that are starting to feel like you between the way that people continue to somehow get aggravated about Taylor Swift just existing around football. And I, I think the Chiefs being as good for the, as they have for as long as they have now, I think the general NFL population is starting to turn on them the way that NBA fans did on the Warriors a few years ago. It seems like we're at that point now. Yeah, and the funny thing is, is if there's anybody in the world that would have that in them, I think it would be me because I am a lifelong diehard Raiders fan. And honestly, Mike, I'm sort of the opposite. Like, there are times I watched that game and I thought, man, as as Mahomes escaped and went down the sidelines for what felt like a 70-yard run, it wasn't. But what, you know, and, and you could feel him essentially take the air out of the tires of the Dolphins. I just kept looking at it and saying, man, I'm going to appreciate greatness. Like, Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes together are greatness. And there is a level of I can respect that no matter what. And, you know, the, there's this the moment with the Chiefs right now where when everything is breaking down, like Kelsey is not the Kelsey we're used to seeing. And we haven't seen great production from the wide receivers. At the same time, we've seen Rasheed Rice sort of elevate into this great young playmaker. We're seeing Pacheco become the guy that they need Pacheco to be. And Mahomes is doing Mahomesian things. I just sat there against the Dolphins and thought, man, there's one team here that's playing chess, and it's fun to watch. Yeah, I think that was a reminder that no matter what we think of the Chiefs' ceiling this year, based on some of their roster flaws and the things that have been an issue for them, the floor is still insanely high. Like the benefit of the experience of where they've been when they got in this moment, and especially in this environment, you know, minus 30 with the wind chill, the coldest NFL game that we've ever seen that does shatter a helmet, which is something I didn't even know was freaking possible in a football game. I've seen them caved in before. I have never seen one just shatter like that. But 
for them to go out there and essentially normalize that quickly. Like the very first drive, they sent the message where Mahomes comes out firing through the air and you then get Isaiah Pacheco, who imagine having to tackle him in the cold. Like it's bad enough. Everything hurts when the weather's that cold. And then you've got to tackle a man who's somehow angrier than the cold wind in Isaiah Pacheco. And all of it for them just seemed like it was another day out there. And they were not deterred. And they set the tone physically on the offensive line, defensively spat put together another one of those beautiful bespoke postseason game plans that we're used to where he was able to get two off his first read get him to hold on to the ball and check it down a lot more they rallied and tackled incredibly well like it was this was them checking a box saying listen I don't know like if they're going to be able to beat the Baltimore Ravens I think there's some bad matchups that could potentially be out there for the Chiefs and this one just ended up being the perfect one you had a Dolphins team that was so devoid of edge talent on the defensive side because they had been robbed by injury that they weren't going to be able to pressure Mahomes and the way that other teams have been able to have to even though they got a little bit of help back at tackle did the Kansas City Chiefs but you were going to be screwed up with it there and then the Dolphins it was like the lifetime achievement award of injury on the offensive line that was coming back to haunt them in this postseason game so I I I, I don't know it just looked like a very mature football team in a way that was a good reminder for everybody why Kansas City is always going to be in this conversation so, and I agree with everything you just said. I also, though, want to put a little bit on the plate of the Dolphins in like one number that always stands out to me is snap count. And I think at some point you got to look at snap count, not just time of possession, but snap count as a game goes on like this. And we were in the second quarter of this at one point. I think the Dolphins had a total of eight snaps. Like they couldn't get anything going. What really stood out to me is as a team, the Dolphins had less carries as a team than Isaiah Pacheco had as an individual, I, I think that was a failed part of the game plan. I mean, you remember late in the game, I think it was third and two. And instead of just trying to run the ball, they throw this little out to to Mostert on the side. Like they're trying to do this quick bubble screen. And, and I, I didn't understand the play call. Like I, I thought that the Dolphins from a play calling standpoint just didn't try to make anything easy for themselves. I know they were banged up and I get all of that. I just, I looked at Mike McDaniel and I thought, man, there's one side of this Andy Reid that came in and said, I'm going to figure out how to control this game, and we're going to alt what we do to make sure that we can do that. From the Dolphins, I just looked at it and said, like, well, this is what we do, and we're going to try and do it no matter what the conditions are. That didn't work for me. I, I, I think as much as we keep talking about Tua, we should also be talking about overall the play calling. I did not think it was a great game plan from the outset for the Dolphins. Well, and it does make you wonder how much of that is Mike McDaniel as the play caller, who now we've seen in back-to-back years. Remember at the end of last season after the Chargers game, there was a thought that the blueprint was out on how to slow down what had been a great Miami offense that season, and then they've gone out and put up historic numbers this season against most people. But we know the the postseason in the NFL is different. And Steve Spagnuolo, I saw Dan Orlovsky tweet this. Spags, they played eight different fronts on defense and showed seven different coverage types yesterday that Dan Orlovsky saw out of the camp. Kansas City Chiefs and anybody watching that game could see they were throwing a lot at them and for the Dolphins Jason it seemed like you know with all the motion in there it seems like they have to do a lot to get those results it's hardly ever just the simplest path that's what I thought was most uh, interesting about the Rams is yeah they've got all the window dressing but they could just hand it off and go downhill and gain yards for the vast majority of the end of this season and whether it's because the offensive line like we said had been injured all year long they've been shuffling and moving guys around there in a way that's been forgotten now and nobody cares about because you're out there but was absolutely reality and then the quarterback Jason people look at Tua Tungavailoa as all right 
point when he has to hold on to the ball for longer than the light speed it usually takes him to get it out in that offense what does he afford you as a quarterback and I think that's the question they're going to have to ask going forward now as they get into they picked up his fifth year option that's coming up this year and Jason I, I don't see them giving him a record extension like I think he's earned the right to be their quarterback next year but I don't think it's at a dollar a cost that's prohibitive no I, I agree with you I think to your point on having to hold the ball and then go through the process is really an interesting one because we were just talking about C.J. Stroud. That's something that the number of times we saw C.J. Stroud do that in this game. Uh, I'll use another example of somebody that Matt Stafford at times has been overlooked in his career. The number of times in that game that we watched Stafford make something out of nothing and his ability with his eyes to move everybody around. I mean, you just saw control. And I don't know that we see that necessarily from two at the same level. If I'm the Dolphins, yes, I have the fifth-year option. I also have the franchise tag. And I'm willing to let all of that play out. Because the one thing I'm not going to do is invest bad money. And, and at some point, I'm not going to invest great money in a mediocre quarterback. And I don't know today how good Tua can be. So I'm going to make this process play out. And if I got to Kirk Cousins it and keep franchising it until I figure that out, I would rather do that. I think there are real question marks around Tua. Obviously, it's it's interesting. I do think it's fair to look at McDaniel and say, hey, you got to figure this out. And I think the roster construction needs to take a long look in the mirror because you're the one that said to me a long time ago, and it's stuck in my head, if that offense hadn't put 70 on Denver, would we talk about them the same way? I think we know now after watching the offense for the last month, the answer to that question is no, we wouldn't. And that one outlier game shouldn't control the narrative. No, their record against teams above 500 against playoff teams was something we harped on a lot towards the end of the season. And now you're right, Mike McDaniel's got to be able to show the ability to do what a lot of his predecessors in his coaching tree between Kyle Shanahan, between Sean McVay have been able to do. And that's a just when other people, especially the top end talent in the NFL, have caught up to in the biggest moments what you've been doing offensively and how you've gone about winning and figure out what the off-speed pitch is going to be to get them over the hump. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done.